Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We're going to be looking at judges for the next few weeks and what you missed on the countdown, which was vitally important and a great illustration of everything I'm going to say today. Whoops. Uh, is that Mr. Wilson is talking to, what's his name? Tim. Tim, Tim the tool man, uh, about annoying neighbors and how to deal with annoying neighbors. And uh, Tim is having a struggle with one of his neighbors. You ever have a struggle? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> one of your neighbors, in case somebody lives next to you that's here this morning. Uh, but neighbors can be really annoying, can't they? What does it take is the question this morning. What does it take to be a neighbor? And I believe that Judges chapter 2 will help us a little to understand that. Look with me, beginning at verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord the God of their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods, uh, the various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook Him and served Baal and the Asterisks. In His anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist." Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. Thank you, Almighty God, for your incredible grace that goes beyond all that we could imagine or understand. 
that amazing grace that comes to us even in our darkest moments and picks us up. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your love. Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open us up to you, that we would hear your voice, that we would respond to you, that Lord Jesus, what we hear isn't just a bunch of words, but that we would hear your voice, and because it's your voice, we would follow you. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity and ask that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. And so, Lord Jesus, we gather together to worship you, to hear you, to celebrate you, to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For those of you who have never seen Tool Time, I mean uh, Home Improvement is the, the name of the show. It's uh, all gone, I mean it was many years ago now, but you can still watch it on Netflix, I think. Um, so, you know, Netflix has all the good shows, uh, but it's an opportunity to, to catch up. Anyway, in the show, Home Improvement, uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor uh, lives next door to Mr. Wilson, and Mr. Wilson is the uh, sage, shall we say, of the show. Whenever Tim has a tough time or a difficult decision or doesn't understand anything, he goes to the backyard and Mr. Wilson shows up. Now what you missed this morning was that uh, Tim went out to the backyard and Mr. Wilson wasn't there and he needed to talk to Mr. Wilson because he was having problems with an annoying neighbor. So as you may have noticed, he took that ball and he kept beating the side of the house until Mr. Wilson gets up. And he asked Mr. Wilson if he knows anything about annoying neighbors. And Mr. Wilson and says, yeah, I've had some experience along those lines. Uh, And he says, I don't know what to do about this annoying neighbor. And this morning as we begin to talk about neighbors again, I want you to just kind of step back and say, have you ever met someone that just really annoys you Beyond measure. I mean, just that, you know, and you can give it all the excuses you want, personality or, you know, proximity or, you know, children or whatever the excuse you want. Uh, What do you do with those people who are just so stinking annoying to you? And how do you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, how do you then be a Neighbor, you remember, right, in, in that story in Luke, where the, the, the question was, uh, what must I do to have eternal life? And the answer basically was, love God and love your neighbor. And so the question was, well, who is my neighbor? Uh, you remember the story, right? And, and Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And I, I won't go through the whole story, but you remember that the one who had mercy on the one who was beat up is the neighbor, And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Of course, Jesus didn't know the annoying person in your life. And Jesus certainly probably didn't have any annoying people in his life. Unless, of course, you read the gospel carefully. And then you'll discover that there were all kinds of people trying to annoy Jesus constantly. The scripture constantly says the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests came to Jesus. The scribes came to Jesus to test him. In other words, they came to annoy him. 
And here at Greenfield, as we have listened to that story and have kind of opened our lives to that as a people of faith, we've begun to realize uh, that we are called by God to be neighbors, to make neighbors, and to build God's neighborhood. So we are all about neighbors. And we have discovered that some neighbors, I shouldn't say we, I have discovered, and my guess is you, too, you have too, that some neighbors are just really, really annoying. So what does it take to be a neighbor? Now, some people think the best way to be a neighbor is to move in with your neighbors. That's not a good plan. If you want to be a neighbor, don't move in. You're no longer a neighbor. You now live with them. And so the the idea of being a neighbor is living next door, not in the house. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, a little more. But I just want to throw that out there so you're thinking about that. If you want to be a neighbor to somebody, that doesn't mean you move into their house. That's just more annoying. Then you become the annoying one. So you don't want to move into the house. What you want to do is become a neighbor. And becoming a neighbor is something that will transform you, and I would suggest would transform those around you. Now, the book of Judges, I believe, is a study in neighbors and neighborhood. And so we're going to look at Judges for the next three weeks. And so I encourage you to go home and read the book of Judges. It'll take you a couple hours, but it's, it's well worth the read. Some really strange things go on in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, you're going to see the same thing happen over and over and over again. And it's all outlined in the scripture we read today. So actually, you could just read this scripture we read today, and you have the overview of Judges. You have the the way it's all going to set up. You can read that and say, oh, that's Judges. And you really don't have to read the rest of the book, but you'd miss some of the best stories in scripture. So I really want you to read the whole thing. This is what happens in Israel. Israel who are called to be God's people. Israel, who are called to have this relationship with God and this relationship with their neighbors, constantly have this tendency to move away from God and away from, hence, away from their neighbors. Now, it all begins in their relationship with God. And so God has rescued them from Egypt, has brought them into the promised land, and has brought them under the leadership of Joshua and the elders, and everything seems to be hunky-dory. For those of you who don't know what that means, ask your parents, or grandparents, maybe, maybe I'm getting to that point, It's kind of scary. Uh, Everything seems to be great. Everything's going well. Everything's just right on top. They are established in their land. They have everything they want. Every time they go to war against their enemy, they win. Uh, Everything's victory after victory after victory after victory. You know what that's like. That happens in your life every day, right? Victory after victory. You get up and you're ready to fight the world and you go at it and God just gives you victory here, victory here, victory there. And when you go to bed at night, you say, wow, wasn't that a great day? I can't wait to get up tomorrow. The problem is that Israel began to walk away from God. And unfortunately, it's in the good days. Watch out, folks. It's in the good days that we tend to walk. You you would think the good days are the days we'd walk with God closer. 
right? God has blessed me so much. That's a great day. But you know what happens? It's a great day and everything's going well. So you're like, yeah, man, I can handle this, baby. This is one of my days, my days. You see how quickly we get in trouble? And so what happened is the people of God began to wander away from God. And every time they wander away from God, they get caught up in the old things, the old habits, the old ways. You may remember that the Apostle Paul said that when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. All things become new, he says. Well, what happens is when things are going well and we begin to wander away from God, we begin to be enticed by the old things. Those things begin to draw us back. Those things that we thought were no longer a part of our lives. And the Israelites had been polytheists for eternity. And all of a sudden, God calls them to follow Him, the only God. And they were all good with that. And things were good. But when things were good, they started looking around and saying, Oh, hey, I remember. And all of a sudden, those idols began to appear in their lives again. Things that in the past they had walked away from. Now just kind of pop up. You know what that's like? Where all those things in the past that you thought were were pushed down and out of the way and gone, all of a sudden you find out, you open a closet one day in your life, and there they all are. I thought I got rid of those things. Oh, look at this. Do any of you have a closet? I have a closet with a bunch of clothes that I never wear. Anybody have a closet like that? You kind of go to the closet. And I, I was looking the other day, and I thought, you know, gee, I haven't worn that in a long time. And then I looked at it, and I said, yeah, probably doesn't fit anymore. I think I'll leave that one in the closet. And I went through a whole bunch of different clothes, and I'm like, oh, that cl- I remember that. Oh, I really like that shirt. Nah. Oh, hey, um, this last week at all boards, while we were waiting for everybody to gather, we started talking about old days, and, and you know, some things just get out of style after a while, you know, um, that, well, yeah, I had the old bell-bottom hip-huggers, Anybody, how, how many of you had bell-bottom hip-huggers, come on, come on, all right, how many of you had corduroy bell-bottom hip-huggers, all right, here's the one that, that I, I'll clench, how many of you had maroon bell-bottom hip-huggers, yeah, I'm the only one. With my hand, I was sharp. I'm just saying, I, I was I was cool, and and I had this green silk shirt with a wide collar to go with the broom corduroy bell bottoms. I'm telling you, I was hip. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kenny. I'm still hip. All right. So, uh, but you go back in the closet, you see those old things, and, and you, you don't wear them. But w- wouldn't it look foolish if you went and decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to put that baby on? People would laugh at you, people, would, and you'd walk around and say, man, I'm hip. And they'd say, you're not hip. You're passe. You're, you're out of it. Square. Square. Lame. All right. Boy, they're good. They've heard these before, I think. <laughs> And so, so you don't wear those things. They sit in the closet. And it's the same way with some of the things in our lives that we thought we'd put away. Some of those sins, some of those idols that, that have had control of our lives. 
some of those thoughts, and all of a sudden we look at them, we think of them, and they come back into our lives. And we don't even recognize how foolish we look for grabbing a hold of those things again. And the people of Israel did that, and they did it over and over and over again. And as they did that, they found themselves deeper and deeper away from God and, and caught up in the evil of their lives. And all of a sudden they'd stop and they'd cry out to God, and God would say, oh, you remember me, huh? And he would come to their rescue. And he'd rise up a leader to, to save them from their oppression. And they'd be saved from their oppression. And you would think that they'd be, yeah, God, I'm with you, God, 100% now. But, but no, it was like, oh, well, that was good. Now I'll go back to whatever I want to do. You know, familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? The better we know Christ, you would think the better we know Christ, the more likely we would to ser- be to serve Him and to follow Him. But, but you know what? We get good at making excuses. Or thinking, you know, I, I did the good thing on Sunday. I, I was at worship. God loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me that we sing the song and we get all excited. And then we go home. And you know what? You know, you know who's at home? The annoying neighbor. And all of a sudden, our ability to be close to God is quickly eroded away. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched people on Sunday morning just all excited about what God is doing. And by Sunday afternoon, the Steelers lose and it all just falls apart. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so what we see in the book of Judges is this cycle goes over and over and over again. And here's the problem. You see, we, we, know, what it, we know who we want to be. And I believe that if we listen carefully, we know who God wants us to be. The hard part is we don't remember what it takes to be a neighbor. So this morning, we, we want to look at what it takes to be a neighbor. We don't have a whole lot of time, so we're going to go real quickly. So just kind of buckle your pew belt and, and stick with me, all right? If you're sleeping already, uh, wake up because we're going we're gonna to get moving. All right, so here we go. Uh, the first thing it takes to be a a neighbor is to be a good leader. You have to have good leaders to be neighbors. Now, this is what happens in Israel, right? The leader gets all excited and gets everybody else all excited, and they win the victory, and, and the leader is following Christ and all excited about Christ, and then the leader dies, and everybody wanders back to where they came from. And, and the problem is, God calls not just one of us to be a leader. He calls, you ready for this? He calls all of us to be a leader. So Joshua wasn't supposed to be the older, only leader, and he knew that. He had elders around him who were supposed to be leaders. What the people didn't understand was they were called to be leaders. You remember what God said to Israel? You are to be a light unto the nations. It's not just the leader who's supposed to lead. It's not just up to me. It's up to you. My job, according to Scripture, is to encourage you to do your job. That's why I picked this job. No, God called me. It's not an easy job. Because some of you get discouraged real easily. God has called you to be a leader. Look what happened in Israel. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. As a 
follower of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to see God at work. And as you begin to see God at work, your job is to say, hey, look, God's at work. And the neat thing about the the book of Judges is that every time a judge said, hey, look, God is at work, everybody gathered around and they defeated their enemies. That's the book of Judges, over and over and over again. And, and in case you're thinking, yeah, but I'm just not that good a person, wait till you read about some of these judges. They're not very good people. And yet God lifts them up and begins to use them in a powerful way. God wants to do the same in your life. You're not just a follower, you're a leader. If you're a follower, you're a leader. Stick with me, this makes sense. If you're following Christ, you will be a leader. You see, a lot of people follow the pastor. That's only good if the pastor is following Jesus. I watch lots of churches who have powerful pastors and the people are all excited and the church is growing and then all of a sudden the pastor dies or leaves or God whiffs him off to or her to some other place and all of a sudden the people just kind of fall away why is that because they've been following the pastor not the Lord Jesus Should God ever take me from this place this place is filled with leaders look around you there are leaders all around you Because anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ is a leader for their neighbors. Think about that. That makes you a leader. I've watched uh, some football this last weekend. Not much, mostly hockey. But I did watch some football. And and football goes, in my mind, kind of slowly. Kind of just plods along and they, they they play for about 20 seconds and then stand around for, what is it, 40 seconds? And then they might play for another 10 seconds. So there's a lot of time in between. And I watch, and there are players who are on the line. Now these, you wouldn't consider these players, uh, leaders, right? There's, they're on the line. But if you watch them, they become leaders, especially those who recognize when the team begins to fail. Because this is what happens when the team begins to fail, right? They look around, they begin to throw up their hands. Oh, and then they start pointing at each other. Oh, if you had done that right, why did you do that? Stop it. But a leader on the team says, hey, you screwed up, it's okay. We're going to get it back. Let's get back on the field. Let's get back and beat these guys. Now, that could be someone, that could be the place kicker who only plays, what, four or five plays a game. It could be someone who's sitting on the bench. One of the games had a player who was injured, and and I I watched him. See, this is the way I watch football. And I watched him while the game was going on. And every time they showed him, he was like cheering on his team. When they came off the field, they could have made the worst play in the world. And he's going, it's okay. We're going to win. We're going to win. And some of you walk through life saying, man, I'm never going to get it. I can't get any. I can't do anything. I don't know. And God is saying, hey, follow me and you'll have victory. Follow me. And if you start following him, what happens is you start seeing him at work. When you start seeing him at work, you start pointing that out to others. And so you become a leader because you're one who knows the way and one who goes the way and one who shows the way. And you don't have to be up front to do that. 
it takes good leaders to be a neighbor. You have to be willing to be some or to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. If you want to be a neighbor, follow Jesus. You say, well, I live next door to someone. That makes me a neighbor. That doesn't make you a neighbor. That makes you someone who lives next door. What makes you a neighbor is to be following Jesus Christ. Because if you don't follow Jesus, this is what happens. The old things keep coming back. One of the saddest things I think about the church in general is that there was a time in our lives when we were very clear that God loves everybody. And yet there are times when the church stands up and they can't find the love that they need for a certain group. Uh, you know, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday or holiday. We're celebrating it tomorrow. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was an incredible man. He was not perfect. But he was a, an incredible man. And this is what he understood. He understood that God loved all people. And he tried to live that to the best of his ability. That's why when he felt he was being oppressed or the people of his color were being oppressed, he didn't buy into let's go kill the other people. That's not what he was about because he believed God loved all people. So he called the people to protest peacefully and to show love to the, towards those who would even shoot water cannons and send dogs at him. He still showed love and compassion to them. You can't do that without having a relationship with Jesus Christ because what will happen is when someone hurts you, what do you want to do? You see, that's that old thing that's supposed to be in the closet. Oh, was that a surprise to some of you? You remember Jesus said, do what? Turn the other cheek? How many times? How many? 490. Kenny's counting. One, two. Uh, the, the problem with 490 is that I, once I get past fingers and toes, I lose count. There are some people who actually keep count, right? Is that what Jesus meant? No, what Jesus meant was that no matter how many times a person attacks you, no matter how annoying that other person is. If you're a neighbor, if you're following him, if you're going to do it like he does, then you're willing to forgive them. Willing to forgive them. Amazing. That's what it takes to be a neighbor. Be a good leader. The other thing it takes to be a good neighbor is to, uh, um, to be willing to share what you believe. To be a Good teacher, for instance. The saddest thing to me in this whole passage is, here, here's uh, not the next generation. Did you catch that? The next generation after Joshua, and they neither know the Lord or have experienced anything he's done for Israel. Did you catch that? That's what it says. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's sad. Uh, how could that happen? How could the children of those, I, I can't imagine those who had experienced what God had done, the parting of the Red Sea and all the things he had provided in the desert and how they had beat their enemies over and over and over. How could their children not know? Was it not important? 
It's incredibly important that people know what God has done in Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we could be forgiven. How can we not share that? They're going to hell. It's not a game. How can we not share with them? Well, you and I both know how we can't share with them. Because you see, they're of a different generation. They don't talk and think like we do. And so frequently we spend our time looking at the differences and saying, well, they're different than we are. So, well, we just don't communicate anymore. You ever say that? We just don't communicate anymore. My parents don't understand me. Have you ever heard that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your parents don't understand you, then try to understand them. Because they need to know about the love of Jesus. And there's got to be a way you can tell them. Our, our deacons spent quite a bit of time talking about the IY generation. Anybody know who the IY generation is? Um, next time you're walking down the mall, look for the person with the phone in front of their heads. They're probably an IY person. Not necessarily, but probably an IY person. Uh, these are our young people who, who are, are growing up and, and who are ready to take the reins and, and, and to, to move the people of God in, in the direction God is revealing to them. And some of us become resistant because, boy, they've got different ideas. But they're exciting ideas. And Tim Elmore wrote this book about the IY generation. And one of the things he said that I find really exciting is he said that IY people tend to want careers that give them a place to serve. Think about that a minute. What a great opportunity to share our faith with them. God has a plan for you, a place for you to serve that's greater than any career you could ever imagine. He wants to put you in His service so that you can transform the world, and that's what they want to do. They want to change the world. What a great thing. We have a God who's been trying to change the world. As a matter of fact, He has changed the world over and over and over and over again. Share with them the fact that Jesus died for them so that they could share with the world the greatest love that ever existed. If you want to be a neighbor, you've got to be willing to share your faith. You've got to be a good teacher. Uh, the saddest thing that happened in Judges is the judges grew up, were, were uh, put on the leadership role and they failed to teach all those who followed them for that moment, what God was doing. I missed it. The other thing I would say about that real quickly, if you're going to be teaching faith, I don't mean that you sit down and you hand them a book and you say, okay, read this book, because first of all, they won't do that. Second of all, if God isn't doing anything in your life today, then my guess is they're not going to pay much attention. You see, a lot of times uh, uh, when, when we give our testimonies, I, I love to ask people, you know, what's your testimony? Um, and in the old days, um, you know, we get up and talk about how we were caught up in drugs and alcohol and all these other things, and, and God saved us. Uh, or some people had that testimony. I always wished I had that testimony. Um, as I've gotten older, I'm glad I didn't have that testimony. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, who would talk to you about Christ and then kind of go blank for a minute and would have to say, well, sorry, too many drugs in my younger years. And there was a disconnect that he had to fight his whole life. I, I'm glad I don't have that testimony. But what I notice is people talk about what God did for them 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and you know what? I, when I was a kid, I always thought, yeah, that's what happened to you back then. So what? What's God doing today? What's God doing in your life today? 
If you want to be a neighbor and share your faith, God has to be doing something today. They don't want to hear ancient history. How many of you liked history in high school? Raise your hand. A few of you. All right. How many of you hated history in high school? Raise your hand. Yeah, more of you. Yeah, exactly. Something about history is, oh, that's happened a long time ago. Tell me what's happening today. How is it affecting your life? What's changing? If we want to be neighbors, uh, we need to begin to share our faith. It's important, folks. I've always heard this, and, and the older I get, the more true I believe it is. Uh, Christianity is one generation from extinction. If we're not willing to share with the next generation. And for those of you who are eye-wires, the next generation's on the way. If you're 15, you're at the end of the IY generation. So the next generation is on the way. They're going to be totally different than you. So get ready because you're going to have to come up with a new way to share God's love so that they understand what he's done for them in Jesus Christ. And then finally, um, being a neighbor um, requires that we pass the test. Um, And and what I like about this picture is these plants have all turned toward the sun. You notice that? Uh, That's because the sun has influenced them. God said to the people of Israel, listen, I'm going to leave these other annoying neighbors in your life to test you. And this is what happens with annoying neighbors. One of two things. Either they attack you, in which case Jesus would call you to stand firm. And when you stand firm, stand firm not out of spite, not out of vengeance, but stand firm in his love. In other words, when someone attacks you, you love them back. That's not easy to do because when you have a target on your back, you feel like you're looking over your shoulder all the time. And when your neighbor is annoying, that's what they're going to be doing. They may be sniping at you. They're going to get you. They, they know what buttons to push. They know how to get your attention. They know how to get you all wound up. And if you begin to, in the name of Christ, turn to them and share his love with them, then one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to accept that love or the attacks are going to come worse. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad you came this morning? They'll be even more annoying. So why would you want to do that? Because God says, if you would love them, you'll learn how to love even more. You can't lose if you start loving them. Because the more they attack, the more you love them. What's that do for you? The great thing about being a neighbor is the more love you share, the more love you get. Not from the neighbor, but from the Lord Jesus to share with them. It's a great opportunity. The other, opportunity, the other thing they may do is they may try to get you to move into their house. They may say, hey, come along with us. Come do our thing. If I'm annoying, you can be annoying too. And so you just come along and do what we do. That's like moving in with a neighbor. That's like trying to get them to be, God calls us to stand apart, to be different. This one groundhog, or whatever it is, what is it? A lemon? lemon? Uh, I don't know. This one animal (laughs) is standing with its back to the other. Why? Because it's going to be different. The world is coming around us trying to get us to be like them. If we're annoying, you be annoying. You'll like it after a while. it'll, It'll fit you. You ever hang around people who are downers all the time? Uh, it's hard for me to hang around downers. I, uh, uh, I, I got enough of that in my life. And I find if I hang around downers enough, I start to 
become a downer. Jesus calls us to be around the annoying ones and rather than be annoying, begin to invite them to our house, to our place, that they might be like Jesus rather than us being like them. So as they try to influence us and drag us along and get us on their, uh, their terms, and of course it's easy to do. You hit me, I hit you. You annoy me, I'll annoy you. And then what's that make me? Just annoying. <laughs> what was it? Someone said, um, the, the rat who wins the rat race is still the rat. I don't remember, that was in a book. It's in a book somewhere. Uh, why do you want to be like that when Jesus gives us the opportunity to be different in a way that's so much more exciting, so much more fun? What's it take to be a neighbor? God's going to test you in this. God's going to test you as a neighbor. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I didn't like tests in school um, because there's a lot of stress under tests, you know. And I'm always afraid that I won't pass, that I won't be good enough. um, And I I would get all tensed up. When I first went to college, it was horrible. Uh, I, I remember this one test. I studied hard, studied hard. I sat down and I blanked. You ever do that? I just totally blanked. And it happened over and over again in the same class. I knew the material. I couldn't answer the questions. I failed every test. And God is so gracious. The professor gave me a D. Yes. But what's neat about God is when I fail the test, he he takes it from me. He looks at it. And he rips it up and he gives me another one. Try again, he says. You'll do better this time. And so I try, and I might get one or two more right, but I I bring it back to him, and I still feel like, oh, Jesus, I failed again. And and Jesus rips it up, hands me a new one. It's okay. Try again. Isn't that awesome? Do you understand that's the God we serve? Every time we screw up. You screw up with me, and you do it two or three times, and I'm, I'm not so anxious to say, oh, that's okay. But we serve a God who with Israel, every time they screwed up, he gave them another chance. Did you catch that? Always another chance. Jesus always offers you another chance. Because you see, he loves you so much that he died for you to continue to give you those other chances so that you could do better. And what he's calling you to do is to be better each time. To be a better neighbor to that annoying neighbor. Next time, you're going to do better. Because now you know that you can be a neighbor. That you can be a leader. That you can be a teacher. That you can stand when the others would attack or when they call you to join them. And if you've done it wrong, don't worry about that stop ask him to forgive you and he'll pick you up and he'll say okay let's try it again you say I don't want to go through that again oh yes you do because next time you'll be ready and you might not pass but you'll do better and he'll say okay we'll try this again and he'll do it over and over and over again and you know what I've never gotten it right I've done better but I've never gotten it right but I know he said to me he said someday you're going to get it all right I know someday I will because someday he'll take me into his house and he'll make me all that I I was meant to be to begin with. If you want to be a neighbor, you need to pass the test. And passing the test means taking it over 
and over and over again. So, neighbor, I hope this morning that you would begin to seek how you could lead someone else in the love of Christ and find the person who is most annoying to you. Find that person. They're not hard to find. And reach out to them. Strive to lead them to something better. Teach them. Share your faith with them. Share your faith with your children. Share your faith with your neighbor's children. I, 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 I remember um, Bob King. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you remember Bob King, but uh, Bob King used to live down the road here. And, and Bob was kind of, a, you know, kind of a quiet guy. But Bob really worried about the children in his neighborhood. And he'd go around, he'd pick them all up and bring them to church. He'd say to the parents, I'm just going to bring your kids to church. I'll bring them back. This is how long we'll be gone. And he just did it. Because he cared about children. And he wanted them to know about the love of Jesus. What do you do? Who, whose children are you in touch with? To share, them, share with them the love of Jesus. And then finally, um, always remember that he's ready to pick you up when you fail. And help you to do better next time. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, help us to be neighbors. To first of all, have that relationship with you. And Lord, there's someone here this morning who has never said yes to you. They've heard about your love and and your forgiveness. And they heard it again this morning. and, And they're trying to do it all right. And they can't seem to get it right. Maybe they thought this morning if they got to church things would be better. Help them to see this morning, Lord Jesus, that it's not the act of coming to church that makes things better. It's the willingness to serve you, to follow you, that makes things better because you give strength and hope and courage and you forgive all those things that have held us down, all those things in our past that that burden us with guilt And you set us free. Lord Jesus, we need to be set free. And we pray, Lord, that that one person uh, and maybe others this morning would be willing to say yes to you and follow you. Lord Jesus, help us to be willing to lead others toward you. Help us to be willing to share our faith. Help us, Lord, when we fail to feel your presence and to be picked up by you that we might try again. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be neighbors. We pray these things in your name. Amen.